Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection between real life and mental health. I'm Justin Lewis. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am also going to be your host on this episode. I'm going to talk with Saeed Joyce, uh, and we're going to cover some things that have to do with uh, his experience growing up. Um, and some of the barriers that he has overcome to become a professional counselor. So um, this is really one of my favorite episodes. It's neat to allow him to tell his story. And before we get into that, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my observations with Jenny Linville. So this is what my takeaways were generally. Yeah, deal. That he, um, he told his story. Straight up told his story from the perspective of reporting his story. His story had a lot of barriers to success. Okay. And some really surprising feats that he accomplished, yeah. albeit against the law. However, surprisingly. Pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, not, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I am not spoiling. Uh, Intrigued. But it, I'm telling you, it's worth listening to hear. Yeah. what he accomplished he also shared his biggest regret in his life per okay. his words deal and then he uh basically i my takeaway was that he told uh, the audience that he made an accomplishment from not giving up mm. and just pushing in for the long run mm-hmm. in fact he named his counseling practice like marathon or something like that i yeah. think and it's because his idea is, hey, you got to keep going for the long haul. You can't think yep. solely on what's in front of you for the uh, sprints. There it's it more is. the marathon, mm-hmm. not a 5K. So those were the takeaways that I had um, okay. from the episode, which I think were great. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that he, not my takeaways, his points. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was really um, interesting to get that story. He wanted to be able to share his story in a venue um, because he said he hadn't done that before, and he mm-hmm. was looking forward to being able to tell it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that we uh, were able to do that. I'm Create sad that, that I've waited so long to release it, but I've gotten backed up. And it's one of those things, it's kind of like wearing your favorite shirt. Okay. You have this where it's like, oh, i got to wait for the perfect time to wear mm-hmm. my favorite shirt. And then that means I just end up wearing it less. Do you have that? Does yeah, that happen to you? <laughs> that dress that you're wearing right now? Yeah. No, I've got like this favorite shirt. I'm like, oh, I got to make sure I wear it on just the right day where right. I maximize its Potential. value. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> it's kind of the same thing that I think I've done with this episode. It's like, oh, this episode's so great. I got to make sure it's just perfect before I put it out there. And then I realize. Perfect isn't real. Let's get it out there so people can hear it. Yep. So what do you have to add to this? Would you have anything to add to this uh, before the listeners partake? But I really like the story. It's super interesting. Um, and it's also, it was really cool to, to one, looking at it from the perspective of a potential person going into therapy, that therapists are humans too. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they have stories and life experiences. And so it almost kind of goes back to don't judge a book by its cover, right? Mm. Um, and I also like the idea that... Um, and this is kind of the takeaway that I took from it was that success didn't necessarily mean just getting out of the hood. Mm-hmm. So his goal is he is 
with marathon is wanting to reach back in yeah and right. create and help su- other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so success doesn't just mean making lots of money or um he kind of redefines success as a successful life mm-hmm. kind of holistically yeah yeah i agree with that for sure that was my takeaway that's a good one all right well before i play the episode I have to let everyone know that this this episode of Mapping Healthy Minds is brought to you by Paducah Bank. Paducah Bank is a bank that has won a lot of awards that um, you would be impressed by, but ultimately uh, I used this bank uh, and they didn't even pay me to say that, so uh, they've got great customer service, uh, they can provide the needs that you have, so if you are looking for a bank, please check out Paducah Bank. Now, here is my interview with Saeed. This has always been like a like a hard topic for me. It's always been something strange for me to talk about my personal story. Uh, and for many reasons. For one, I don't want to get any like, I don't want somebody like, oh, poor guy kind of mm. thing. Uh, and also, uh, I've, I've naturally always been like an introvert. So mm-hmm. I never I don't talk talk a lot period really unless mm-hmm. you know I really I really know you, but I, I I learned I taught myself how to be an extrovert as well too so yeah but uh I felt compelled I've been feeling compelled for honestly for almost like a year to really be more open about it and as you know the things been servicing and I've been seeing the importance of uh of mental health and like the community of people of color. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for me to share part of my story. You know, I still struggle with how transparent I really want to be, but I've been compelled to share, share part of my story just to give, like, a sense of hope, a sense of, uh, you know, that we may come up one way, but we don't have to stay the same way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, man, I start back, you know, so I'm uh, actually I was born in Pennsylvania. Uh, I lived in Pennsylvania up until I think I was, like, a lot of it is, like, vague now. But mm-hmm. I think until I was like seven or so. So born in Pennsylvania, uh, first early memories. Uh, <laughs> and it so sucks, honestly. Like, cause mm-hmm. most of my first memory was like a, it was like a tragic time for me. Really, mm-hmm. it was a bunch of like I had. I have three sisters. Uh, they're all older than me. Um, right now, thirty four. I got one that's thirty five, and I got another one that's thirty six. And I think my older sister, I want to say she's like nine years, she's eight or nine years older than me. So she's probably like 34, I don't know, 41, mm-hmm. two-ish or something like that. Okay. But uh, my earliest memories, uh, I live with my biological mom. Uh, man, we lived in it. My, mom, my mother, she had a boyfriend who I learned later to find out that he was actually like her pimp. Mm. But we lived with her. We lived with him. And his mother, for like many, for I don't even know how long, man. But we lived there for a while, and I remember him being around, you know, sometimes. But when he was around, I just remember it was always a lot of abuse. Mm-hmm. Like we, like our our room where we slept at, we all shared the same room. Uh, was like catty corner from their room, and we would peek out, and we can hear, you know, my mom and them in there fighting or whatever. And then it always exploded out in the hallway where. She gets thrown out in the hallway across the floor, nude as ever. So I'm, you know, oh. being young, just seeing your mom, like, naked, getting thrown down the steps and stuff, you know. Oh, wow. But uh, I think eventually he ended up, like, passing away. Uh, so he passed away, but 
we stayed there. And throughout this time, it was obviously a lot of like substance abuse. Sure. You know, my mom had a heroin addiction. She had a crack cocaine addiction. She was an alcoholic too. Mm. Uh, so after he passed away, uh, my mom was like in and out. Uh, and when she would leave, mind you, like his mother lived there as well. But mm-hmm. I don't know, like in Pennsylvania, it's like they got the stoops and then it's like multi-levels. Mm-hmm. Like she, I don't ever remember seeing this lady come out of her room. For some odd reason, she just never came out of her room. Mm-hmm. And we terrorized her house, honestly. <laughs> to be honest, like we terrorized her house. Uh, but I remember numerous times, man. I remember one time uh, my sister's room, they was all on the third floor. At, they was like, so on the third floor, you can climb out and be on the roof. They was always going on the roof all the time, have mm-hmm. parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, be, being the only boy, they never let me come in. <laughs> so I remember one time I was mad. I went downstairs, busted into my mom's room, and she's in there shooting heroin. Mm-hmm. She's like, and she yelled at She never yelled at me for one, but then she yelled at me, told me to leave. And I just sat on the steps. Uh, but it's been multiple times, you know, where she's done use crack cocaine and you know in front of the uh, the kids or whatever you know mm. and you know one of the, my best christmases it's like my best last worst christmas ever man mm. uh obviously being only male i was kind of spoiled growing up like when i lived <laughs> with my mother i was actually kind of like spoiled a little yeah. bit i got a lot of the attention from all the girls and you know of course and i remember one christmas uh she was about to go to christmas shop and i was like i'm gonna go so mm-hmm. you can't go it's christmas or whatever i just <laughs> cried and she let me go so i got to pick out all my toys everything i wanted for christmas right uh-huh so man we had uh, i remember it was like christmas eve and like i said we didn't listen we was like bad kids man even the neighbors <laughs> called us savages she's like they called us savages kids all the time so uh man we my mom's like go to bed we was like no nah, we ain't going to bed so we opened up our christmases our christmas <laughs> stuff whatever we had christmas we all had a, we all each had like tents i remember i had like a batman tent one of my sisters might have like a beauty and the beast and the other one might have like a cinderella tent <laughs> i don't remember my older sister she was like in and out a lot <laughs> but uh man woke up the next day man my mama sold everything it <laughs> was all gone like she sold everything was getting high and then i don't think at that point she had at one point she had left us in the house for like three months and i remember me and my two sisters above us we had this big window similar to one that you sit behind mm-hmm. and we just sit in the window all the time like waiting on her to come home and this was and this was during school t- the school year was in too mm-hmm. uh we never went to school uh man i remember we went on a black eye a black eyed peas binge because i was always in the uh in the cabinets to eat mm-hmm. it was black eyed peas and i want to say like spaghettios but we just eat them out the can because nobody was really making them like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point in time, we just got so tired of it. We had a food fight in the kitchen with black eyed peas. And they were smeared all on the door on the wall for months, too. Nobody ever cleaned it up. And to this day, I don't eat black eyed peas because I, I hate black eyed peas because of the binge that we had to go on because we didn't yeah. really have anything else to eat in the right, house. Right, yeah. Then one day this lady comes. Well, I, when I say this lady, I'm talking about my mother. She came and uh, she got out of a police car. We was in the window waiting for her like usual. She pulled up, got out of a police car. I'm like, man, where you been at? She's like, I just got robbed and blah, blah, blah. But we just kind of like pushed it off. Just happy she was home. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, when this time, my father, I, I believe he was in jail. Uh, but I know my mom left again, one on one of those binges. Uh, she left again. And then she popped back up and she was like, hey, I just want to tell you I got something. And we was all in the room. She's like, uh, your father passed away. And I remember like, so me and the sister above me shared the same father. And then the sister above her got a different father. And then my older sister got a different father. So that's 
one or two, three different fathers, I think, mm-hmm. who's act, unfortunately all are passed away. I was like, mm-hmm. I thought about that one. I was like, that sucks. Like, all my mother's baby dads, our kids' fathers, or whatnot, are yeah. bad, are deceased. And so, did you ever know him? Yeah, yeah, I knew my father. Uh, he was actually growing up. He was like a stern kind of mean kind of guy, though. But he was like, he was like, I want to say he was just in and out of jail. Uh, I remember, like, I had a good Christmas with him one time, too, man. He brought me a walkie-talkie one day, mm. and I was, remember being in the kitchen, and me and was talking on the walkie-talkie. He actually, I remember he taught me how to ride my bike. Mm. I do remember that. And I also remember a time, uh, at one point in time, I was living with my grandmother, which was my father's mom. And me and my sister was playing hide-and-go-seek, and I went and hid in the bathroom. And I jumped in the bathtub and a towel rack. I grabbed it when I was jumping in, and it yanked it out of the wall of my grandma's house. And my father came home, and I remember, man, he told me he was going to whoop me, man. So I told him I had to use the bathroom. And I fell asleep on the toilet. I was in the bathroom. I wasn't even using it. I was just <laughs> pretending. Yeah. So I fell asleep on the toilet for like two hours. And I remember he came in there and he told me to come out. And I thought he was going to whoop me, but he's like, nah, we're going to bed. And he cut the lights off, man. And he laid down, and I went to go get in the bed. He said, no, but it's not you. And he's like, you're going to stand up. And I <laughs> literally, man, he made me stand up throughout the night. I woke up on the other side of the room sitting Indian style. I don't I don't remember how I got there or anything like that, but honestly, to be honest, um, and unfortunately, I have like three memories, and those are two. And and he used to me and him used to walk a lot, and he used to always tell me walk with my head up. Those mm. are like the most profound things I remember. Other than that, I I don't remember much, man. I remember yeah. one time, like you know, him and my mother getting in a physical altercation, but other than that, I don't remember him as much. But when he passed away, but prior to him passing away, man, the, uh, I guess this, this lady that lived in the house with us finally decided to come out of her room. And uh, she came out one day and she told my mom, like, y'all got to go. So I remember we stayed in a like, shelter at the shelter. And I remember ex- we extended our time at each shelter. So it was like, oh, you kid, you got to go. So how, old, go. how old were you at this time? I was like seven, six okay. and seven at the time. I remember one time... Uh, we had to sleep in the back of a uh, one of those long old station wagons. Uh-huh. I remember we slept in one of those. But I remember like, and then my mom had sisters, but for some reason they didn't ever get along. And you know that's a relationship. They might listen to this one day. <laughs> that's a relationship I struggle with uh, because you know I was like I kind of wonder like you know why they never like you know they they stuck together with, within their circle. She had like two sisters. And, like, their kids would go to each other's house and hang out with each mm-hmm. other. And, you know, they was able to stay at my grandma's house on my mother's side. But for some reason, we was never allowed. Like, my mom's name is Didi. Didi's kids was never allowed to, like, mm. come over and visit like that. Honestly, like, and then when we did, honestly, I recall, like, hearing, like, rude stuff, man, about, about my mom and about us and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So over the years, I think. I remember I used to be an outgoing kid, but I, I can recall my transition to where I became an introvert. Mm-hmm. It was at some point, man, like always being told, don't touch this, don't touch that. Mm-hmm. Like I always had like cousins that was like fortunate and they was and they was like younger than me, but it was like male cousins. And they was always fortunate, man. Mm-hmm. Like they always had the nice toys and the nice stuff. And when I would go over there, I remember like, don't touch that. Get sit over there. Mm-hmm. And I recall like being told to just sit still for hours and being like yelled at because my mom wasn't back to pick us up yet, and mm. how they was tired of her or whatnot, and and I in those times is what made me become an introvert cause, because I think I learned how to just fly under the radar, not yeah. to be yelled at, right? You know, not to be 
you know, get in trouble, I just learn how to, like, read the rooms or whatnot. Which, honestly, now is a good thing for me as an adult. You know, I can read a room fast. Mm-hmm. You know, I can communicate without speaking. Yeah. And and I connected to my childhood to being told, don't touch nothing. Get mm-hmm. over, you know, or, you know, man, they just call us all kind of names, man. Like, it's just, like, mm-hmm. real ruthless stuff, you know, but... Were your, were your aunts like into the same sort of stuff as your mom, or was it kind of like your mom was the outcast because uh, of my, some of her? My behavior? aunts on my mother's side, I don't know. I just know there's a bunch of selfish stuff going on. Yeah, but I, I'm I I hear things, you know. I've or I heard things that you know they may have been into the same things that my mother was in. I'm just wondering if it was kind of like they were she was an outcast to them, and then you got the from when I, so my mom was a young from the story that I gathered, my mom was the youngest too. And she was real spoiled. Okay. Like, she was never had to do anything on her own or whatnot. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, and, I, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't really want to speak on it because I really don't know. Sure. You know, but I've, I hear things, but I, I don't know the accuracy of it. Right. But now my, so, after my father, the, the day of my funeral, my father, when my father passed away, my aunts, my aunts on my father's side took me and my sister that shared the same father. Mm-hmm. And we lived with my grandma for a while. But my grandma, you know, she had lost, like, many kids, and she was getting up in age, and she didn't want to take care of us no more. Yeah. I mean, honestly, man, she told us that. I remember, like, my grandma just recently passed away. Uh, but she told us, she's like, I don't want to take care of y'all. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was probably seven or eight or something like that, and she just didn't want to take care of us no more. And she, like I said, she was old, and I respected or whatever. But then I had an aunt that had got married and moved to Kentucky. And she came back, and, uh, and she was like, you know, y'all can just come live with me. So... I got there, man, and mind you, man, all this time, I was never in school. I remember being in first grade. I know my ABCs in first grade. Mm. I couldn't count to 44 in first grade. Mm. I could, the highest I could go was 44, and I remember being in classroom, and the teacher, we was watching a movie. The teacher was calling every kid to the back uh, during the movie to track their progress or whatever. Right. And I was sitting in the back. I always was like a backseater kind of kid or whatever. Mm. I was, honestly, most of my life growing up, I was like, I was like, off to myself a lot mm-hmm. you know i guess i was just used to my sisters and all that stuff and then that us being fine we were split up one my sister one, one of them went to foster care my other sister i don't know where she i don't even know where she went yeah but uh but i remember counting i remember hearing other students make it to 100 you still don't know do you do you know where she i don't um so my sister unfortunately man my older sister she did follow my mama's tracks Hmm. Uh, my older sister did get into like substance use and substance use and all that stuff, and she just led like a a real. She just went down the wrong path, man. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunate because my mom was with her, like holding her hand the whole time, carrying her down this path of mm-hmm. like addiction and uh and criminal activities and all that stuff, you mm-hmm. know. So she just dragged her like she just dragged her right down there with her, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, like. As of recently, has been dragging her down with her as well too. So she's still, you know, she's still struggling. But we we are not as close as we once was because, like I say, she was older. And as we got older, we really lost contact, you know. So, but uh, then my other sister, she's she's doing. My other sister, she's doing really good. I speak to her pretty regularly. Uh, we text a lot, uh, you know. But we I want to be a lot closer than what we are. Yeah, but just the distance and just I guess all the years and the years of like separation. But sure. I try to be there for them like emotionally and mentally. But I'm just like I'm so different than them. I recall like them, them getting mad at me because you know for a while every time we got together it was like let's talk about mom, let's talk about mm. how things were and a, and a lack of 
things we had and why we right. are like we are today. And I'm and I'm more like, man, I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time they got so mad at me that uh, they told me I was they told me I was heartless. I feel like one of them said I didn't have any emotions. <laughs> and then one of them pushed me and she's like, I don't want to see you again. So for a while we didn't talk for like I want to say like two years mm-hmm. because because I guess I was quote unquote emotionless. But for me. That's how I dealt with things. Mm-hmm. I I was a avoider or mm-hmm. whatnot, and I avoided a lot of my own feelings, a lot of my own emotions. Uh, and me talking about it, I always felt like it's pointless to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's better to talk about it because you can just process it, yeah. and eventually, it's gonna come out anyway. Right. Rather you is man, rather you wanted to come out or not, yeah. or not, it's gonna come out. Rather you in a grocery store arguing with the <laughs> cashier over. Right, a penny or something sure. like that. Either words or behavior—that's yeah, your choice, it's right? Come yeah, out. yeah, uh-huh. for sure. And and I guess it speeded up a little bit. So I moved to Kentucky. Uh, I ended up getting hooked on phonics. My aunt put me on hooked on phonics. Okay, yeah. she put me on hooked on phonics. Somebody man. actually did that. Okay, yeah, yeah I did. I remember it, the commercials. I yeah. whole, I completed the whole little packet too. Okay. I think it was like twenty-six programs. I completed all twenty-six programs. I started to get up to speed. So it worked for you. Hooked yeah, on phonics yeah, worked yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah, you know did, what they yeah, said? Yeah. It did. I got up to speed with, with a little bit of it, but it was still always those insecurities in, in there, though. You sure. Know, like, I remember I was at one point in time, I really felt like I could have, I was like, I remember I was in third grade and was doing multiplications, and we used to play like, like Duck Duck. It was like, uh, what's it like, what's the little round the table thing where you got to hurry up and sit down, then get up? Uh, musical oh, yeah. chair. Musical chair, yeah. But we used to play with, multiple, with multiplications. Like my teacher would spit out a multiplication, and the person, you are the person, got to say it first, and then you keep going around the room until somebody beats you to it. And I made it around the circle like three times before somebody finally beat me to an answer. But even in those times, I never felt secure though. Mm. It's like ah, uh, like I know it. And then I was also used to like flying under the radar, so mm-hmm. I would never answer questions in class. You know, I always stayed to myself. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think one thing I did pick up from my mom is, is I had a I got an addictive personality too. Mm-hmm. So you can put a lot of stuff in front of me, and I'm gonna like learn it or figure it out because of the addiction that she passed on to me. Like I get addicted to certain things. Yeah. So that has that helped me a lot. But just speeding it up, man. I live with my aunt. Of course, you know. From one single parent household to the next single parent household, mm. and mine was like I want to say at some point like she was like a street girl a little bit. Like she grew up in the streets too. Uh, she got a couple gold teeth in her mouth or whatnot, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, and she's like she grew up in the streets too. So a lot of things I we learned in the home was like you know it's just like it was like street street stuff or whatever. And then uh, her being you know she was married, but then you know went through, going through a real de- bad divorce. So we moved in like. My biggest memories, man, we moved in a neighborhood in Lexington, Kentucky. It was called Winburn. I was on the north side of town. It was a one-way-in, one-way-out neighborhood. Man, and I remember falling in love with the streets. Mm. I remember just, like, thinking to myself. I remember sitting on the corner and thinking, like, man, I don't ever want to leave this neighborhood. Mm. And I think, so prior to that, man, I lived in a neighborhood I hated. I actually used to walk. I used to take the long way to school, man, because I used to get jumped every day. And it was, like, going into, like, Fourth, third, fourth, fifth grade. I hated this neighborhood, and for some reason, this neighborhood hated me. They didn't hate my sister though. They yeah. hated me though. Right. Man, I remember, man, I just remember every day, man. I got jumped every day for almost the entire school year, mm. and I started getting so tired of it, man. I started taking like the super long way home, mm-hmm. and then since they couldn't get me after school, it was like we're preparing to leave school. They would jump me in school, 
Mm. Man, and it's like, I was just get so unfortunate one day. I was like, one day, I mean, I just decided, like, I'm going to fight back. And I took the shortcut home, and lo and behold, it was a day that I actually really had to fight back. And I fought, man, I fought, fought, for a long, fought everybody, man, for a long time. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't gain me any more respect than what, <laughs> than what I had. Yeah. Uh, I eventually still got tired of fighting and went back to taking a long way home. But I remember one day I just broke down and told my, uh, it was like my aunt's ex-husband, like, man, I don't want to go to this school no more. I hate that place. So this is when you were still young, like I was elementary young, school? Man. I was still in elementary school. Mm. And I used to love football too, man. And uh, and the guys used to jump me. We all lived in the same neighborhood, so we all played on the same football team. So our football practice was the same stuff. It was like tournament after tournament after tournament. I don't know what it was about me, but it was something that they just did not like. Were these? It's uh, my peers, people my age. Was it like? Could have been. Was it a racial thing at all? No, no, no. I no. Okay. No. We actually lived. We actually lived in, in what you would call the projects. It was majority African Americans. Yeah. So it wasn't a racial thing. It was like I don't know if it was because I didn't act like them at this point. They just found somebody to be yeah. their punching bag, kind of. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. And I wasn't in, at that point in life. I wasn't into a lot of the stuff, you know, that they was into. So I, so I was a little different. And like I said, I was always like, you know, to myself. Okay. At this point. So it's almost like they didn't trust you because you weren't into the same stuff. Yeah, because I wasn't into the same stuff. Yeah. But I feel like I never got that chance, though, because honestly, in that neighborhood, you, it's only a handful of things you can be into. And mm-hmm. if I was maybe accepted at, at that time, I may have been into that same stuff in mm-hmm. that particular neighborhood. Okay. But unfortunately, I, I didn't. But not unfortunately. But fortunately, at that point, I didn't get into that stuff. So I ended up like going home, though, breaking down one day like, man, I'm tired. Of, like, I'm going to want to go to that school no more. So I ended up getting moved to another school. But then just speed up a little bit. We moved to like uh we moved to the, the neighborhood one way and one way out of the neighborhood. It's called Winburn. Uh man, and at this point, like, it was the opposite of what I was once experiencing. I was mm-hmm. experiencing like I got these are neighborhoods where I met like my best friends that I'm still connected to to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh the school was like a lot different. I was instantly accepted from like I remember walking in class seeing like one of my best friends that I'm still with now like first mm. day I walked in he gives me a head nod I give him <laughs> a head nod and from there on out it was like oh man we friends <laughs> cool you know so but this was also a, a, a neighborhood populated of like toxic toxic stuff man you know so I, I want to ask you a question based on ahead. something you said earlier you said that you remember sitting and thinking uh I don't want to listen your words were something similar to uh I love the streets. I never want to leave the streets. Yeah. What was it that led to that thought process? I think it was like feeling. I think it was like feeling accepted. Mm-hmm. I think in a home, you know, like what's understood don't need to be said. I think we we. I grew up in a like my aunt raised us like she always say we always said we loved each other. Mm-hmm. We always gave hugs and stuff like that. But I think I don't really know if like if I really I felt it. But like when you get in when you get in the streets, man, like. The love is like at that point, what you think is love is it's 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 abundant, you know. Like it's it's just abundant. I like you like, and then I grew up. I was also like one of like almost like one of the popular kids of the neighborhood at some point. Okay, you know. So uh, and I and I got and I got popular for the wrong things, honestly. Uh, so it's kind of like you could feel somebody having your back for the yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you knew this person friends. was was with you thick and thin for the first time yeah, whereas sure. you didn't have that stability at all growing at up. all ever so mm-hmm. i think I, I felt it and it was like oh man i love this feeling mm-hmm. and i don't want it and i don't never want it to leave right you know so i fell in love with it man and, and whatever came with it i was with it too 
uh, I grew up in a neighborhood like where, like I said, guns was like the regular thing to have even at mm. 13 and 14. So I definitely had multiple guns in my house at 13 and 14. Mm. Everything from a small like 22 to an AK-47. I, I've actually had in my closet at some point in time. I mm. from the big Tech Nines with the clips that got thirty two bullets in them. I had them all in my house at some point. And mm. also stealing cars was a thing to do uh, in my neighborhood. I, I used to watch this movie. It's called New Jersey Drive. It was actually a movie based out of like New Jersey. At some point in time, I think like in the eighties, there was this big epidemic of like car theft in New Jersey, and they yeah. made a movie about it. And in the movie, they actually showed you how to steal a car. <laughs> And I watched it with my, my best friend. I was like, man, my best friend, he used to work at, like, he used to do, like, this little side work at, like, this auto part or this, like, this mechanic shop. Uh-huh. And they used to use this thing <laughs> that steal cars with. And he said, man, I know what that is. He said, I used one of those today to pull a dent out of a car. And then he was like, I was like, man, we should just go get one or whatever. So we actually walked to AutoZone, stole one of those things, <laughs> and then went, man, and mimicked the movie and stole a car. <laughs> And then at that point, it was it be, that became an addiction. Like I remember, like I just could not sleep until I stole a car. What would you do with it? Man, we was just ride around the city, or we would steal cars and give them away to like uh, it, in Lexington. At some point, still the summer that summer, stealing cars was like it was like thing to do for us. <laughs> like we was part, I was parking stolen cars in, on the side of the house, stolen cars in front of the house. <laughs> Like I say, like you couldn't you couldn't ride through my neighborhood without riding past my house because we had that front street in that house too. Okay. And you know, I remember my aunt would see me. She'd call me and be like, "Whose car are you driving?" I just tell her, "Oh, it's my friend's uncle. He let us drive." And she's like, "Boy, you better get out that car." But it was never like, "You need to come home. You're in trouble. You're on point." There's never nothing like that. Yeah. You know, so because you're man, only fourteen, you said yeah, fourteen, yeah, fifteen, like, or so. Like 14, you shouldn't be 15. driving anybody's car no matter what. Man, that summer, yeah. I stole forty-two cars in that summer. 42 cars. Yeah, I remember. Uh, so, so you just drive them around and just leave yeah, them, leave them somewhere? And leave them somewhere. You, so you weren't like selling them or anything like that? Man, you know, I was about to tell you a story. Okay. Actually, uh, then we're going to get into the other stuff. I'm, we had this this guy I know was like, man, I'm going to take you out to the chop shop. I know it's one in Cincinnati. Man, it's like I was a freshman. I might have been in school at this point for like two weeks, in high school for like two weeks. He's like, man, we're going to take you guys to the chop shop. We're gonna, I'm like, okay, cool. So then be that night. Or before we had, it's like around 2000, 2001, 2002. We had stole like a 2002 Jeep Cherokee and a 2000 like two Jeep Durango. Mm. Uh, and we woke up the next day and we went to go meet the guy and he never showed up. Like, man, like, so at this point, school was in, so I'm like, we're gonna go to school. So we drive the Durango to school. And uh, so we get to school, park the Durango in front of some random house, and walk through the field and we was at school. During lunchtime, I had another friend. Um, my friends, they went outside, and they was driving the car, and they did donuts in this lady's yard, a bunch of stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. So after school, me and my friend who originally stole the car is walking toward the car, and we see a police car, but it was like an unmarked kind of police car, like okay. an old Crown Victoria. Right, right. My friend was like, man, that's a police car. He's like, man, we should go back to school. And I'm thinking to myself, nah, man, ain't no police car. Look how old it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. It's just the thought, right? Sure, yeah. 14, 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So uh, we go get in the car, and it wouldn't start. And my friend, this is the first time he's like, man, these seats can un- it's so We were so kids. Because he's like, man, these seats unfold, and they fold down and lay down and stuff. <laughs> it's the first time he ever seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. And also, it was a brand new bag of clothes and shoes in the back. He's like, man, it's a, brand- it's a bag of, it's a trash bag full of brand new shoes and clothes. So he's digging in the bag. And I'm trying to start the car, but it just keeps like, 
cranking over like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't start. I was like, man, I was sitting there thinking to myself, why well, won't this new car start? And as I was sitting there thinking, I happened to look out the driver's window. And it's like 20 police officers coming out this lady's house. Mm. And I, I, I kind of like froze. I forgot like my friend was even in the car. Mm. I get out the car. And he didn't even know I got out. Like he's still in the backseat engulfed in like the clothes. So I get out and I close the door. And uh, the guy, he one of the officers like reached out to grab me. And then my legs just took off my body, man. I took off running. Man, I had on some, <laughs> I had on some brand new shoes. I came out with my shoes and everything, man. I left them. Uh, then as I was, I was running, I happened to look back. I see my friend. He jumps out the car, but he runs towards the school. Later on, I find out su- su- school security caught him, grabbed him. He got arrested that night. I ended up making it home. I ended up running through a field. I seen an old friend. He gave me some shoes. I made it home. Mine was actually about to get married. This day, I was actually going with her to try a suit on for the wedding. Uh, so I ended up making it to school, man. And uh, I mean, I ended up making it home. Uh, she, My friend's mom called and said, hey, you know what happened? I'm like, no, nah, I don't know what she's talking about. Whatever. She's like, yeah, well. Uh, Frankie's in uh, he's in he's in jail because he got caught in a stolen car and he said that he was with somebody else but I think he was with you I was like nah he wasn't with me I was like I'm at home or whatever but the next day I, I didn't go to school for like three days mm-hmm. so I finally went to school man and I was sitting in the first period I seen like security walking class then they walked out then, I, then my teacher walked back and she happened to look because I never was in school so what happened was they said it was side in school today and she's like no he's never here <laughs> but that day I was there, and then when she was walking back, she happened to look, and she seen me. She ran back out in the hallway. They got me. Uh, so I ended up, the officer, like, he he was choking me. Like, he had my shirt tight, clenched on. I was like, man, why you holding me like this? He's like, man, because I heard you got a rabbit in your blood. And <laughs> so, no lie, man. I get down to, like, uh, the police station, and this is, like, no lie, man. I walked in the police station, and they stood up and gave me a round of applause. And they was like, because of you, we got to work unlimited overtime. <laughs> and you kept us busy all summer long. Because uh, we had stole, me and my friends stole so many cars this summer, man, that they actually gave me a round of applause. But on the way there, I, they did tell me if I don't be quiet, what they was going to do to me. And then they then they played games with me. I got locked in a cell, man, for like about six hours. They, mm-hmm. for, forever, forever. So, But after that, man, my life went really, really downhill. After my first charge, uh, the thing that really landed me, in a, in a in a dark place, man. Uh, me and my friends uh, burglarized a gun store, and we stole twenty one guns, mm-hmm. and sold them. One of my biggest regrets of life is the fact that I played a part in putting all those guns on the streets. Mm-hmm. It's one thing that I struggle with. Uh, one thing that you know that I regret, and it was like like I say, it was all kind of guns. It was like it was automatics, uh, even so tear gas and. Mm. Things like that, man. That's like one of my biggest regrets of my life. But eventually, uh, somebody had actually got killed with one of the guns. And Mm. I guess the police really made a real effort to find out who did it. And Mm -hmm. and eventually, we all got caught. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, actually, uh, yeah, man, we all got caught. And we was, I was in... Like I said, I wasn't even in high school, man. So this was after you stole all those cars? Yeah, this was like after, yeah. What was the punishment for that? Ah, it's my first charge. And it was, and they just gave me a joyriding charge. Uh, and I had to do like community service and write a two-page letter, letter or something, which I didn't do neither of them. <laughs> uh, I think I went to go do community service. And I'm like, man, I'm not staying here. And I walked home. 
And I was like, I'm just not doing it, so whatever. Wow. But by me catching that first charge, it made me eligible to be tried as an adult. Mm. Uh, so when I finally, when I got caught, they charged us with a first degree offense, which was they can try me as a youthful offender if I met certain criteria. Mm-hmm. And one of that criteria was like I had a previous charge, mm. and another one that they that they said was uh, they considered us a gang. Uh, which we was not a gang, we were just a group of friends. Yeah. But they they found like bandanas. Like they uh actually uh went in my my aunt's home and told her that she was not allowed back in the home. She had to stay in the hotel for a while. The ATF did. Hmm. Uh and she had to stay in the hotel for a while. Uh but because they found these bandanas and things were not, they said that we was in a gang. So I met the criteria, they tried me as an adult. Uh I signed a plea bargain deal for ten years. Um hmm. uh, I spent my high school career, man, in detention centers and boot camps. Never been to a prom, never been to a school dance, didn't get to experience the high school basketball games, the high school football games. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't, I didn't get to experience any of that stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting my GED. I got, I, well, I was in detention. No, I was in boys boot camp in Breathitt County in Jackson, Kentucky. Uh, it's, it was called CLEP, the Cadet Leadership and Education Program. It was like, before before they passed that bill, like it was like a real legit boot camp, you know. Like they, now they don't have boot camps no more. Okay. They passed a bill to where they want to be like day treatment or therapeutic facilities. Uh-huh. So, but I was in like the real life, man. Like you wake up at six, you standing on line, you doing physical training all day. They are in your face. They are putting their hands on you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like at least going to choke you up or something by your clothes or whatnot. But I was in that. I was in that. I was in there, man. And, uh, so that's where you went. After you got your ten year, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a prison sentence, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, like I was in detention center forever. We was in detention center. It was actually called Cisco Road. They closed it down, and they, they something else in Lexington now. But I was in there for a while, man. And they and they tried us when they when we start going to like we didn't go to trial, but when we start going through sentencing, they put us all on keep separate. They didn't want us to communicate, mm-hmm. and it wasn't enough because it was, honestly it was like it was like it was four of us in this detention center, but it was total like five of us all together. But he was in, one of them was an adult, and mm. he went to adult jail. Yeah. Uh, so they separated us, and because they didn't have enough space, uh, places to send all of us, man, like we was in our cell for like twenty two hours a day. I was in, I was in my cell at fourteen years old for for twenty two hours a day for like six months by yourself. Yeah, it might have been like four months. Yeah, by myself, man. Mm. I I don't know. I, What'd I you do, know. man? I counted the bricks on the wall. Over and over and over and over. I took my toilet paper, played basketball with it, with the toilet. Like, I read, I, I really got into Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. I read, like, all the Harry Potter books that was out. One of the guards used to bring them, and she used to let me read them. I read a lot of Cindy Shelton books. One of my favorite books, If Tomorrow Never Comes, by okay. Cindy Shelton. I read that when I was in detention. Hmm. But I really got caught up into the Harry Potter series. And, and reading, man, it... Reading was like one of the most things like took my mind away from just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know. So, but then when we went to court, man, they sentenced us. We got sentenced. Uh, they sent us all to different places, you know. So, uh, but I don't know, man. After that, you know, after after that, I, I end up getting, I end up going to a place that they had their own attorney, and I'm getting, I end up getting out on shock probation. Uh, so when I got out on shock probation, of course, I had like a, uh, I was still a juvenile, so. They gave. I still have my juvenile probation officer. But you had done well in this setting, which is why you got your shock probation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And in, in the detention I don't want to skip center. over that part. Oh yeah, okay. So in because the, really, kind of part of what you know the reason 
for you telling your story uh, is to add that hope of because sure. a lot of people spiral out and then they're just you know in yeah. the system over and over, over and, and over. Yeah, for sure. they're like well i don't know what else to do other than steal guns so they get back into it and whatever but you didn't do that so we want to highlight that part of it so, yeah, don't, be, so don't be afraid uh, to, to nah, nah. talk so, about the good things that so you did to get center, you know I did excel. Like I, I was like one of the one of the two. I was so I was in. It was like a boot camp. I was in the Bravo platoon. They had Alpha, Charlie, Delta. Mm-hmm. I was in Bravo, and I was like one of the two that made like the sergeant rank. So what does what does that mean to excel? Like what Man, kind of behaviors point, like, lead to excelling? You know, you know, honestly, at uh, in that point, I I was like shy from excelling. I remember like getting my like sergeant badge, and we took a picture. And I had mine in my pocket. I didn't even want to put it on. Hmm. And one of the one of the staff members was like, "Man, why didn't you put your back? Why didn't you put your? It was like a strap that go around your arm." Uh-huh. And I was like, and I remember like thinking like, I don't know, like I, you know, like never, it feels weird. to Never me. won an award before. Yeah, so it felt weird to me. I was like, yeah. I was like shy about it or whatever. Uh-huh. We even graduated. We graduated uh, actually in the capital in Frankfurt. Hmm. Uh, was that the first award that you'd ever won? That I can recall. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and like something that big. Like I was one of the two. You know, I mean, you didn't even get like preschool graduation nah, trophy. No preschool graduation, <laughs> so man, that's legitimately the first like, thing you'd ever really. Well, won. I had a fifth grade graduation. Okay, you have fifth grade yeah, graduation. I had a fifth grade graduation. Yeah. But other than that, nah. And actually, I didn't even graduate from eighth grade. I got kicked out of school in eighth grade because I took a BB gun in school. Hmm. So I didn't even I didn't make it through eighth grade either. So yeah, that was like one of my even graduating from boot camp, man. But not like, everybody got this, no. right? I mean, you really, no, you like really earned it. Yeah, yeah, right. I've earned it, man. And and you had to put in a lot of work to earn it too. Like so you had what to kind be of work did that mean? You had to be a leader. Uh, you had to like always just be on time and on point. Like with everything, uh-huh. everything was like structured just like the army. You up first. You you finish with everything first. Everything was yes sir, no sir. Everything was permission to speak, permission to use the bathroom, sir. Right. It was like you and you had to be on point. You had to know your code of ethics, like the back of your hand. I knew it was like twenty five of those. I knew all those <laughs> without looking at the card. Uh, what was your incentive for being well behaved? What was your incentive for excelling? My addiction, my addictive personality. Okay. I think I was put in another setting and challenged, and my addictive personality kicked in. So it's more about the challenge. Of yeah, because that. at the end of the day, I hated that place, man. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be there, and nobody looked like me there. It's like out of like fifty kids or forty five kids, two of us was black. Really? Okay. Yeah. And they would always make the jokes too. Like it was Jackson, Kentucky. It was like you. We would go out and cut the community grass. And I remember they was t- they used to tell us to duck. We used to ride in a van. And it was like me and Cadet, uh, me and Cadet Livers. They were like Joyce and Livers duck. And me mm. and him would have to duck as we rode through some of these places. Mm. And they used to always tell us like y'all need to stay close to staff because if not, somebody's going to kill y'all. Uh, we used to stand naturally when we first got there. We used to stand next to each other online. They used to like nah. Put some color in my line, spread out. And we have to like spread out. I go to one end, he'll go to the other end. And man, so I didn't want I didn't want to be there. And I like my first day there, uh I first before I went to the boot camp, I had to go to the detention center. And I was in the detention center and one of the guys like he said he said something. I said, What? And he he grabbed me like by my throat and he was like, It's yes sir down here, boy. Mm. And I was like, Man, like I was in like in for a rude awakening. Yeah. So on top of not wanting to be there and just me being the, having that addictive personality to, to just want to just be the best at everything, mm-hmm. I just I excelled, 
And and now you know, looking back on it now, like I'm thankful for the fact that I have the ability to excel. Sure. You know, but no, that's great. I'm just yeah. curious what the incentive is because you never really had that. Um, it sounds like at home, like hey, do your best, kind mm-hmm. of instilled in you. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess if you had have done terrible, you could have had to you know go to jail or something or yeah 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 what? for sure for sure yeah. i actually know a lot of friends that had got tried as an adults and because they didn't accept they went straight from juvenile facilities to adult facilities yeah yeah i know i know a couple of them that went straight from the juvenile detention center at 12 o'clock on your 18th birthday at mm. 12 o'clock midnight wow. the sheriff's come and pick you up man and <laughs> you say bye to your friends and there you are off to <laughs> fed county detention center for for adults but that wasn't truly your incentive. Yours was, I want to man, I do the best I could do. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go home, man. I was missing, like, I would call home and I would talk to, like, some of my friends. I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home, man. And like <laughs> I say, like, and, and thankfully, like my aunt, she sent me, I don't know, like, around my birthday, I got a card in the mail every day. She still sent shoes to the facility for me. She came to visit me, and when she couldn't come, she sent, like, one of her best friends would come to see me, you know, so... I was thankfully that I still had like that support to like you know where somebody was still keeping in touch with me. Okay. Somebody was still sending me letters, mm-hmm. and but man, I wanted to go home, man. Yeah, so I, I was willing to do whatever I could do. I guess that was an incentive. I was ready to go home. Sure. And honestly, you know, I tell a lot of people like I don't, I don't think I was actually really a bad kid. I don't think a lot of people that, that are considered bad are actually bad. Mm. Like now that I'm in therapy, that's like my niche population. Like, yeah. send me the kids that everybody keep cashing away. Yeah. Send me the kids that nobody wants to talk to and they think they can't get through to. Uh-huh. Because I just think that we're all just products. Like, back, I know I was probably considered, like, a bad kid. And most people probably just going to listen to this podcast probably going to be like, wow, he was bad. <laughs> but I was actually really just a product of my environment. Yeah. And doing anything good was going against the grain. Like, if you didn't carry a gun, you was going against the grain. If right. you didn't steal cars, you was going against the grain. Yeah. You know, so that was just our reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one thing that's amazing about, like, human, the human body and just humans, period, is we're going to adapt to anything we're around. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just adapted to it. Yeah. You know, and, and so, does I say that I was bad? No. Honestly, I can go, I could have went in, all through school, even I made, I was, I was a B average student. And all through middle school, I was a B average student, even though I was still taking BB guns to school, even though I was still in leaving school in mm-hmm. stolen cars, I was still can sit down at any desk and apply myself and pass a test. And well, just to put my therapist hat on, almost a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Something I tell people a lot is all behavior makes sense in yeah, context, sure. and so understanding the context, like you said, going to, you know not doing what you did would be going against the grain. Yeah, for sure. And then if we're going to judge you individually, you were in a situation to succeed yeah. with all, the same opportunities as everybody in front of you. Mm. Everybody at that boot camp had the same opportunity to be successful, yeah, no matter sure. what mm. uh, they were there for. They had all, you had all on the evil, even playing field mm. and you succeeded. Mm. So that says something about you individually well, I, I, as I, much as anything. I would just disagree a little bit because I think everybody's on their own time because I do have, I think, uh, we do all like the playing field is still insane because even when you come home, the challenge is like they tell us in boot camp you can front through the program. Yeah, the challenge is gonna be when you get home. Sure, yeah, you know, but so, not everybody won an award at boot camp. No, not everybody. Won, that's but what, that's what I'm saying. Though, didn't have the didn't have the 
the mental capacity to even do it, man. Mm-hmm. I know I remember I was in uh man, I had a friend, man. I actually found out he passed away. His name was Cadet Love. But Cadet Love, he just didn't have it. Yeah. Man, he like he and I had another friend that he had sniffed so much gas before before boot camp. Mm-hmm. When he got to boot camp, I would say like if you would say his name Cadet Jacobs, there would be like a five second d- delay before he turned his head and got around to saying, huh? Mm. And he just didn't have it in him. Yeah. You know, we seen the progress as as boot camp went on. I remember when he first got there, being 14, he couldn't do one push-up, man. I'm talking about not one push-up. By the time we left, he was up to 15. But So you seen, like, the progress or whatnot, but he still just didn't have enough to be successful. Right. Even because of damage that took place prior to boot camp. You know, just all the huffing of the pain. Yeah. All the huffing of Okay, fair enough, else. yeah. So, unfortunately, man, I think, man, we just all, I think there's, I think that, man, you got to have, like, a a complete different level of, like, resiliency, and you kind of got to have, like, man, you just got to have, you got to have it in you, I guess. You got to have mental toughness. Yeah, you got to have mental toughness. That's one thing that you, you know what, you had to develop that mental toughness. I'm going to take it back, because I think a lot of, a lot of people of color that come from the communities I came from. We have that mental toughness already mm-hmm. because, like, I was talking to a friend the other day. And I was thinking, like, man, I remember, you know, you go up in these single parent households and you you learn it. You become an adult early. I remember waking up early, like, man, I gotta make sure I make it to the free lunch truck to grab to get this breakfast real quick because you mm-hmm. know my aunt's at work and and honestly, she can't. She grew up in the same kind of environment. I mess from calling like I'm hungry. She's like, what you call me for? You better go in there and make you something to eat. So it was like <laughs> yeah. that kind of, you know, right? Yeah. It was that kind of household. So you become an adult and learn how to take care of yourself a little early. So you do create this mental toughness, man. But at the end of the day, I think we all human. Mm-hmm. And I think you can be as mentally tough as you want to. And I think you just end up breaking down. And honestly, I think that's where people of color are at today in society. I think for so many generations, we was mentally tough. Mm-hmm. And now we're human. And now we're exploding. And now mm-hmm. we're engaging in the looting and all that stuff. And, mm. and that violence and that anger is just finally just coming out. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's uh, get back to your story a little yeah, bit. Sure. So you, uh, so you finished up boot camp, got mm-hmm. your award for your leadership skills, and then mm-hmm. what was the next step? So then I came home. Uh, so I came home. Uh, I worked at a McDonald's for a little while. I hated it. I worked <laughs> at Amazon for a little while. They fired me. Amazon? I, yeah, I worked at Amazon for a while. Doing I what? I went through a temp service. Man, I was like a handler or a packager. Oh, really? I went through a temp service, and it was actually by hiring me. I worked there for nine months. They was about to hire me on. They did a background check. I'm like, oh, you got a felony, and they fired me. Mm. I worked at a gas station, uh, Shell's gas station in Lexington, Kentucky. I worked there, and uh, I had one uh, award. It was called the Spirit Youth Award, and it was an award for, like, kids who, uh, at this time, I was enrolled in college at UK, too. I skipped a little step, but I was at this point, I was enrolled in college at UK, so I was working at the gas station overnight and also going to classes. So I was working at the gas station. I won this award. They put it in the newspaper. Uh, the owner always came in every morning and read the newspaper. Mm. He read the newspaper. I remember him looking at me out the side of his eye <laughs> and turning his head. The next day, I was off the schedule. Mm. I called him. I'm like, man, you know, I'm off the schedule. You know, you're going to put me back on. He's like, man, I don't know. Then he was always kept just avoiding the topic. Mm. Then... Then I called him again. He said, I think you should just bring your shirt in. And I'm like, huh? 
So I bring my shirt in. He's like, yeah, man, we had to let you go. Some cigarettes was coming up missing or whatever. I'm like, man, I don't even smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Then he was like, well, the count was kept coming up short or whatever, so we had to let you go. And my manager was standing behind him, and he was like, his head was down. He was just shaking it. And he ended up telling me, he said, man, he just, he, he said, man, I'm sorry, but he just let you go because he read that article about you. And it was so unfortunate because it was, it was a good article. Yeah. He read it, and he fired me from the, from the Shell's gas station. Yeah. So after that, man, uh, I was in school full time. Uh, and me and my friend, me and one of my best friends had started the cleaning business. And we worked that for a long time. I ended up getting my real estate license. I did that for a little while. Uh-huh. But I got into social work. A lot of people ask me all the time, like, why did you become a social worker? It's yeah. actually all I knew. Like, my most impressionable years, like, which is like, I feel like it's high school for most kids. Sure. I was in boot camps, group homes. I was surrounded by social workers, counselors. Yeah. So it was like all I knew. I didn't know anything about business management. I didn't know anything <laughs> yeah. about anything else on the career list. Right. I was like, oh, social worker, it's the only thing. So I guess that means you had a good experience with yeah. social workers? Uh, you know what? My juvenile probation officer, her name is Cassie Phillips, man. She's like one of my heroes. Mm. Like She's like one of the best people that I've ever engaged with. Uh, man, like she's like an awesome lady. Yeah. And she was like, and she was always honest and open and real with me. And, you know, she let a couple things slide. I ain't going to say, but she did let a couple <laughs> things slide. Because me and my best friend had the same probation officer. And mm. we weren't even supposed to be around each other. So, but yeah, yeah, but she's like, she's an awesome lady, man. She's like one of my heroes. Uh, my counselor, Mr. Uh, Chris James, one of my, one of one of the most prominent people in my life. So I definitely had like a good experience mm-hmm. with those counselors slash probation officers. Yeah. You know, so I didn't have a problem with them. Okay. I actually, honestly, if it wasn't for Cassie, Cassie, man, I might not even really made it through college. Mm. It was that point in time, but I didn't feel like going. She would like text me and encourage me. I remember mm-hmm. I, I had like uh, I got a boot on my car. I didn't have no money. Cassie <laughs> paid to get my boot off my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a couple things that I needed. She would always send me money to help me out. You know, so and this is like after I was eighteen, twenty. I was like twenty two, twenty three years old. Mm-hmm. She's always just been so supportive, and even to this day, man. I could probably call her. We can have a conversation. She's always like extremely supportive and stuff like that. So. I definitely had a great experience, and she's actually like one of my motivating factors of like why I'm like where I am today. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fantastic. And so yeah. you, we're passing it on now, and you yeah, obviously, yeah, sure. as you said earlier, have a kind of this philosophy of everybody's on their own path, and yeah, for sure, uh, their own timeline. I think is what you said. Yeah, yeah, I, I I really believe I believe that, and I and I use it in my career today, man. You know, like sometimes you know we, it's, it gets frustrating being a therapist because you like you know like. I just want you to get this. But then they don't <laughs> yeah. get it. Right. Yeah. And even like, why even my job. Why can't you see what I can see? Why can't you see yeah. what I can see? Right. And then all of a sudden, six months later down the road, they're repeating everything you just told them. Yeah. It's like, we've been here for six months talking about this and you finally get it. Yeah. So it helps me like, everybody's on their own path, man. They're going to get it when they're ready. Yeah. But one thing I was always taught is just plant that seed mm-hmm. and eventually it'll sprout and you're going to be the first person to know because they're going to be related with you, pick up the phone. Get in your inbox on social media and be like, hey, Saeed, man, I remember you said that. Man, it turned out just like you said. And I, so I get, man, I get that a lot from That's a lot awesome. of the kids I run into. I get it a lot, man. And I, a couple of kids have made videos and put it on Facebook thanking me and stuff, man. So those are like the motivating things. But I get that a lot. Like something like, Saeed, man, you said it. They call me Mr. Joy sometimes. I don't really like it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Saeed. I don't like it. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Mr. Saeed, you said it. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that a lot though. I'm a, I'm a priest too for it though. 
Looking from your perspective, I think there's there's kind of this stereotype out there that if there's, you know, black males that get stuck into stealing and mm-hmm. theft, like, mm-hmm. that's a dead end. But so obviously that's not the case. And one of the reasons you want to talk to me is to instill that hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can yeah, you talk so. more about, like, what, what you see to, in society versus yeah. what your reality was? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so... One of my favorite artists is Nipsey Hussle, and he he always talks about this marathon thing. He his his whole his everything is about about, about a marathon. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Uh-huh. You know, he even had the marathon clothing. Uh, his record, you know, like everything about him was like a marathon. And you know, when I when I listen to him a lot, man, I actually listened to him on my way over here. Okay. Like I listen to a lot of his interviews and stuff. Uh-huh. And and he, as when he talks about his marathon, man, he talks about like he felt every emotion. Like going through the process, mm. but when I think about it, it's like man. So that means he felt the good, the bad, the ugly. He wanted to quit. He wanted to keep going, but he mm. recognized, man, it's a marathon. And I think that we get caught up in this sprinter's mentality mm-hmm. and like the black culture a lot, and mm-hmm. we think that like we got to do it now. We got to do it now. Mm-hmm. But man, it's a marathon, mm. and I think that we already through our ancestors and everything they passed down the level of mental strength and, and resiliency, I think we already possess it. But we got to realize, like, life is a marathon. Mm. And we really got to realize that it's not going to come tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But if you keep on going, you know, it's going to come. And towards the end, you can pick up the pace. If you in the marathons now, like, it's about that last, them last couple meters or whatever it is when you really start spreading, <laughs> yeah. you know. That's right. when you can pick up the pace. Sure. But you got you to gotta really prepare yourself, man. And I think, you know, we got here for me, man. I got fired from job after job after job. I worked the bottom pit jobs, mm-hmm. you know. But somewhere deep in me, I felt it was a marathon. I might not verbalize it like that, but to me, it's like, man, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep going, you know. And mm. and fortunately, you know, I was like, I'm gonna go to school. And I was in school. I used to walk on UK's campus and think I don't even belong here. Mm. And you know, I was on. I remember being on campus. I remember feeling inferior in the classroom and feeling mm. like not looking like nobody in my classrooms. Mm. I struggled in biology. I even went to my. I struggled so bad. I went to my teacher. I'm like, I don't know what's going on in here. She <laughs> yeah. said, Well, you should have learned this in high school. I wanted to tell her. Well, look, I didn't go to high <laughs> Let school. Let me tell you about okay. my high school. <laughs> yeah. She said, Well, you took these prereqs in high school. I'm like, Ah, I was doing push-ups. I was doing push-ups <laughs> and running and running laps. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely not and cutting grass. I was definitely not. In a biology class, but uh, I wanted to quit then. I developed. I think my anxiety really developed in college because I like I was like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna make it, mm-hmm. you know. But but fortunately, man, I just kept going. I just kept going. I just kept going. And then eventually, your past actually really becomes your past. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people be like, man, like I can't even tell that you went through all that because my past. I guess I got so caught up in this marathon. It's like you running marathons, your body changes, mm-hmm. you know. You don't look like a sprinter no more. Sprinters yeah. look strong and built. Marathon runners, they slim and cut up. <laughs> right. So as I was going through this, I began to like change. And mm-hmm. people didn't even stop to recognize me no more. Yeah. You know, and I think like my biggest message, I just like, I feel the urgency to really get out is you. we don't have to stay the same. You know, no matter, I don't care what you go through under, your, under the sun. Because like I said, I've seen it, I've experienced it, and I've been through it. We don't have to stay the same. And a lot, and especially, like, a lot of my friends I grew up with, like, in Lexington, I just want them, I want them to know, like, I don't care how many felonies you got. 
Mm-hmm. Honestly, every job I had, I've been open and honest about it. I went in there and I told them, like, yeah, you know. Because they're going to find out anyway. So I would I go in there and I would just leave with it. And at the end of the interview, you got anything else you want to say? Well, yeah, you know. But I, I spent it to make it for me, though. You know, like I, I, I would say something like, you know, I believe I do have a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. And my unique perspective is, like, you know, some of the things that, was the population we deal with. Like, I've been through it myself before. I, I, you know, had some time in juvenile detention centers and boot camps and things like that. So it's all about, you know, just what perspective you choose to look at it from. Sure, yeah. And I never got denied for a job for it. Hmm. You know, so, but I just want, you know, I just like, my biggest thing, man, I just want the people that look like me, the people of color to know, the people of color to know, like, especially the males, is like, we don't have to always be the same, man. Mm-hmm. We can really change. Uh, you know, and, but you can always still be true to yourself too. Mm-hmm. You know, because I still listen to the same music. I still, I'm still gonna call my friends when I get back to Lexington. We're still gonna all get together, and mm-hmm. we ain't getting together doing the same things no more. Right. But we still get together. I'm still, I'm still Saeed from Winburn. Yeah. You know, I, and nothing about me outside of that changed. Do I have other interests? Yeah, you might see me in some biker shorts on a bike now <laughs> with a helmet on my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I have picked up different interests along the way that wasn't uh, normal in my community. Uh-huh. But those are things, honestly, those are things that really show me, like, a lot. Of, like, that there's, that you can, be, you don't have to steal cars to have fun. Or you don't have to be out all night on the corners to have fun. Canoeing is fun. Camping is fun. <laughs> bike riding is fun. Yeah. You know? So, I just want to just, like, urge urge people that look like me to like experience different things and don't be afraid to change and mm. and like and one of the big things for me is like people ask me like well, how'd you become a therapist i didn't really want to become a therapist really mm. i became a therapist because i was feeling stuff and i didn't know what i was feeling mm. i was depressed i was going through i was battling depression and didn't know i was battling depression and i started asking myself why you keep getting in these moods why you mm-hmm. keep getting sad for no reason for these elongated amount of times? Why mm-hmm. you keep pushing certain people out your life? Mm-hmm. And then as I began to ask those questions, it started to lead me back. Like, you've been dealing with a lot of trauma, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. Mm-hmm. And as I started to try to, like, treat myself, I started to realize, like, man, so this is what, this is what we've been going through for all these years. Mm-hmm. This is why we're so angry, you know, and that's what actually led me into therapy mm. to like trying to heal myself led me into being a therapist yeah 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 do you ever think about how it could have gone different like if you let's oh. say if you hadn't have to use your marathon example if you had stopped running do you ever if think I, about what that would oh, have been sure, like man because you know I, I, I did stop running at some point yeah and honestly uh so i i, I don't know how, the, how many people populated in my neighborhood but like I was like one of one or two people who actually made it out. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have elongated amount of times in the penitentiary, mm-hmm. but all majority of all my peers have. Yeah, you know, and and unfortunately they just stopped running. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's easy to it's easy to be good in detention, but when you come home, man, you gotta run. You gotta you jumping through like it's not only a marathon, but you also done hurdles too. Mm. You know, you you battling adult probation. I worked at the Hyde at one point. And I used to have to run on my break from the high hotel to see my adult probation officer who didn't care about how long I waited downstairs. Right. So I'm looking at the clock like, man, I'm 45 minutes. It's past. I'm 15 minutes late already. Then she mm-hmm. finally called me up here. Now I got to do a drug test. Now I got to let her know what's going on. Mm-hmm. As she still TikToks around not respecting me because she don't respect me. Yeah. Honestly, I'm just nothing but another criminal with her. Sure. Another case you number. Know, yeah. Another case number, right? 
So I did that for months. And then on top of that, I'm paying fees. Then on top of that, you still got to live your life. You know, now I got to go back and explain why I'm late once a month coming mm-hmm. back from my break. It's because I'm trying to see my probation officer, mm-hmm. my adult probation officer, who don't, no matter if we schedule this two or three, a month in advance, she's not going to be on time. Yeah. You know, and, and I might get down there and they just might, she might be arresting the person in front of me that takes two hours. Right. You know, so, and God forbid I leave them in violation of probation. Sure. So, man, there's a, there's so, there's so many reasons to stop running. There's so many reasons, man. It's like you, you should imagine if you was if if we watched the Olympics, and as we and as these runners are running, people are throwing stuff at them, yeah. like the entire race stuff right. is just getting thrown at you, and so you 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 exhausting energy ducking, you exhausting energy jumping yeah. over stuff, and you can't even focus on the run. Hmm. So, but at some point, man, I did stop running, and I and I fell into depression too hmm. because I had stopped running. But at some point, you just got to get up and just, you know, okay, I was down for a minute. Mm-hmm. Let me just get up and just get back to it. Mm. Yeah. But like I say, majority of my majority of my peers, man, they they did return to like to to mm-hmm. the prison life from from multiple years to five, seven, eight, ten mm-hmm. years at a time. Came home. One of my one of my best friends, he spent majority of his adult life in in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel so bad for him. Because he's actually, because we never got to be kids, man. Mm-hmm. And I and I, one of my biggest memories of being a kid, me and my two friends had a snowball fight, <laughs> and I just remember we did it for like hours, and we just laughed and played. And as I look back on, I was like, man, that's the only time he was really like able to be a child mm-hmm. and have fun. Other than that, we was engaging in too much stuff that was way above our age. Yeah, yeah, so. But I, I'm I'm thankful that I didn't I didn't quit because now I can finally be like a testimony. Mm-hmm. I can be somebody that you know other people can look up to and be like, "Well, Sai made it, and he actually lived in that blue house on the corner." Mm-hmm. You know, because that and we know everything that he was doing, and and now he's 34 years old, and he's a he's a therapist. I started my own practice actually. Yeah, it's called Marathon Mindset Counseling. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Uh, That's inspired, in Chicago. Inspired right? in Chicago, yeah, yeah. 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 It's in Chicago, uh, inspired by the rapper Nipsey Hussle, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, man, just for me to be where I am, like I don't take it, I don't take it for granted, because mm. I just know, man, I was just like I was one bad, one bad night away from prison time. Yeah, for for a long time. So I don't mm. take it for granted. I'm grateful. Well. Um, yeah, I appreciate you telling me your story today. I think Man. that it's going to be an inspiration to uh, whoever hears it. I, I appreciate really, you. I appreciate you giving me the platform. You know, like, it's just the first one. The first <laughs> one. It's the first time I ever told it okay. on this kind of platform too. Usually, uh-huh. I'm telling it in a room with nobody around. You know, <laughs> maybe telling it to myself. You know, but I appreciate you giving me the platform. Like I said, like I, I would like to have talked about like a lot of the the racial stuff, but I'm also knowing like this is something that. That can help. That can help the cause, right? Yeah, now. this is a message of hope. This yeah, this is, is a, a message of hope for all. And I think something we can just need come it, out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think at this time we need it. So I appreciate you giving me the platform to mm-hmm. be able to, like, you know, like talk to my people. Really. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm grateful for it. That's great. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate no problem, that. No problem. Anytime. Anytime. And someday I'm going to visit you in Chicago whenever there's sports going on. You can hop on them bikes and, and <laughs> catch a man. 
I know you love riding the Lakeshore, man. Anytime I'm on it, I think about how you I see bikers. I was like, Justin probably love riding it. He probably ride it all the way up to, <laughs> to Wisconsin. I, I was like, I might not want to ride with you. you probably take it all the way up to Wisconsin. <laughs> this has been Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and life. For more episodes, you can find the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we are also on social media sites, Facebook and Instagram. Website for the show is mappinghealthyminds.com, which has access to all the episodes that we've recorded so far and a little bit more about the show. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a review or tell a friend. It's the best way for us to pass the word on to other people. Mapping Healthy Minds is brought to you by Compass Counseling and is produced and hosted by yours truly, Justin Lewis.